You are listening to the QSR Web Podcast, Episode 1. At the Restaurant Franchising and Innovation Summit, executives from leading brands will share their success stories of the numerous ways they have innovated to grow their franchises. Attendees will gain insight and inspiration to help them be more progressive in every facet of their businesses. Register today at FranchisingInnovation.com. Hello, and welcome to the very first edition of the QSR Web Podcast. I'm QSR Web and Pizza Marketplace Editor Shelley Whitehead, and I am delighted you're checking this out today. Each Friday, we'll have a brief roundup of QSR, pizza, fast casual, and food truck news, as well as an interview with a brand leader, restaurant industry expert, focused on the things we believe our website readers want to hear about. So let's get started. We start, of course, with some news of the week across limited service, and it's been a week chock full of food safety concerns from the latest news about fecal matter, bacteria on London area at McDonald's kiosk screens to the ongoing romaine lettuce E. coli problem that first hit the news last week. On the McDonald's story, a British newspaper conducted a study that had lab samples taken from eight London area McDonald's stores kiosks and found all had fecal bacteria on them, creating a PR nightmare for the brand, not to mention the overall food service kiosk industry. Also, most restaurateurs still have a case of romaine on the brain after news that dozens were sickened by E. coli-tainted romaine leaves this fall. The good news on that is that it appears that the infected romaine is now pretty much out of the system and that it sounds like federal food safety officials have grown just as tired of the problems around this particular lettuce as restaurateurs have and are now urging producers and distributors to label romaine with the harvest date and origination point. Across limited service categories, a couple of studies released this week are also perking up restaurant leaders' ears. Radiant Insights reported that the QSR industry globally should grow a healthy 5% over the next five years, and a lot of that dining dollar will likely go to delivery orders, according to a UK-based survey that found there's a huge shift taking place in the restaurant dollar away from dine-in and to delivered restaurant food. That comes from a planned day survey in October around the United Kingdom. In pizza this week, more bad news for the beleaguered Papa John's brand, which has apparently lost the interest of Trion Fund Management, acquiring the brand that through the Wall Street Journal. Best casual editor, Jared Kanzler, said in that round this week, Starbucks has made a commitment to block customers from watching porn in its stores, while a New York City council member is actually seeking to ban cashless restaurants there. And check out uh, fastcasual.com's blog from the one chef who feels strongly about the importance of the plant forward movement and hopes readers will too after reading his thoughts. It's interesting. Finally, via foodtruckoperator.com this week, editor Elliot Maris said the number of food truck parks continues to grow, 
including a pair of food truck owners in Evans, Colorado, who recently opened a park called The Yard on the site of a former restaurant there. While in Brooklyn, New York, the owners of the Hill Country Barbecue Market revamped their property to a park known as Hill Country Food Park with six different culinary concepts inspired by Austin, Texas and its food trucks. And hold on just a second. We'll be right back after a quick break with Susie Badaracco, who is president of the food industry think tank Culinary Tides, and she is fascinating. I'm right back with this. Many of the fastest growing and most successful chains in the restaurant industry are embracing innovation throughout their operations. These forward-thinking brands are constantly looking for the next innovation. New technologies, new menu items, new marketing tactics, new training programs, etc. that will propel them to even greater heights. Come and learn these innovations at the Restaurant Franchising and Innovation Summit. Register today at FranchisingInnovation.com. Okay, turning now to our interview guest for the day, allow me to introduce Susie Badaracco, president of the food industry think tank and forecasting company, Culinary Tides in Oregon. And Susie is filled with fascinating information about the trends restaurateurs need to know. Hello, Susie. Welcome. Hello there. You always bring such weird and wonderful ideas up from all over the planet around <laughs> the food topic. So thank you for being here. And thank if you. I could, I'd like to start with the restaurant year that was, if you don't mind. Can you tell us the trends that restaurant operators might just want to leave on the table at the end of this year as far as menu offerings that have run their courses? The past year, so we have been in an emotional stall in this country, So, which means it's not a recession because it's not economically driven, but an emotional stall resembles a recession behaviorally. This past year and coming up, consumers are not grounded. They are not feeling confident. There's a lot of fear for a number of reasons. So what happens is last year and then going into this year, they revert back towards comfort food, partially. Not all the way back like a recession, but partially they retreat. So what they do is, and this year what we saw, is they retreat back to historical or regional specific cuisines, hybrids kind of came back like, you know, kind of cousins of the cronut where you're taking two familiar things, putting them together. Comfort with a twist. I actually hate that phrase, but you get the picture. (laughs) Um, So not completely back to comfort food, which would be seen in a recession, but this kind of combination. So last year and going forward too, what it would be smart to continue to do to just simply move laterally, keep the base of the food, whether it's a burger, whether it's pizza, whatever the dish is, keep the base of the food approachable, familiar, grounded, so the consumer kind of knows, oh, this is a burger. Maybe it's a veggie burger, but it's still a burger, right? If it's a pizza, okay, maybe you have something crazy on it, but it's still a pizza. <laughs> then what you do is you get to move laterally by adding some intrigue, either by add-ins, the seasonings you're using, the preps you're doing with it, That's how you get to add the fun piece of it 
um, to keep them coming back. So that's what we saw last year, and that's what, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, is going to kind of continue into this next year. That's fascinating, that kind of the psyche of the country is dictating this. Well, so then if we have that stable base, what are going to be the add-ins? What are going to be the trends that will sweep the country in the year ahead? So there's a lot of directions you can go. Okay, so due to the stall, we're going to remain swirling around Peruvian food, regional Italian, Russian for sure, uh, regional Mexican, Nordic, kind of more general Asian. So more with Asian, more um, country, not specific regions of a country. We're not that sophisticated with our knowledge of country. So like we might know Thai food, but we would not know regional Thai food at this point. Um, and then definitely southern, southern USA is still going to be rolling around this year. So um, they, the rule of thumb right now is if it's a cuisine that we're fairly familiar with, let's say Mexican cuisine, what you want to do is you want to go regional. If it's one we're not familiar with, let's say Russia, Russian foods, you just want to stick with the global comfort foods of that country. You don't want to go regional quite yet because it would be too unfamiliar. So the trends that are going to continue for Southern cuisine get very specific, like low country, Gullah, uh, Cajun Creole, Floribian, which is Florida and Cuba. Um, and then Southern is traveling up the East Coast, so Ozark, Appalachian, Pennsylvania, Dutch. Beyond this, you can go further into island territories around the southern U.S., so Cuban cuisine, definitely Puerto Rican cuisine, all of that's going to come in. Um, if the stall continues, I would be looking at upper Midwest, Minnesota, Detroit, Chicago for ideas. So instead of Chicago pizza, try Detroit pizza. Nordic cuisine is quite approachable, especially in the bakery end. So that's where you can get into bread. So pizza can get into that um, as the base uh, breads. Also, burgers can do that too with the bakery end of Scandinavian foods. And then if you are going to do Chicago, you don't just do Chicago pizza, you do some of the other Italian specialties that come out of that region. So see, the more the more you know the region and more familiar it is, kind of the more avant-garde you can be, the more sub-special you can be with that. So nationally, you're also going to see like regional barbecue, so very regional barbecue, right? Specific states, specific cities even coming into barbecue. Again, regional Mexican, um, Italian, you could go regional. Spanish, you could start going regional. Man, and you're going to need an education in regional cuisines in order to go to the restaurant. <laughs> well, so that's, that's why you... In a restaurant for consumers, you don't want to go regional unless it's already a, it's already a, a flavor that's familiar, like Mexican or like Italian. Those you can then go regional. But right now what consumers need is they need to feel grounded and, and in control and safe. So whatever you're doing, if you're doing something regional, um, you want to call it out. So you're kind of educating them on the menu right, either in what you're calling the dish or in the description of the dish. That's how you keep it approachable. If you just, if you start pulling regions that are super unfamiliar or you start putting combinations together that, you know, are very fusion, it, it's going to scare them and they're not going to want to uh, partake. They're just going to choose something else on the menu. Yeah, that does, that does intimidate you as a customer. 
And right I, now is, yeah, exactly. And right now is not the time to intimidate anyone. Right now you have to, so the, the formula is, again, part of the dish has to be approachable, and then you get to have fun. So, like, if you're looking at Caribbean something you want to put on the menu, think varietal citrus, think pepper sauces, think jerk coming in from Jamaica. If it's South America, you know, some dish or some, you know, twist on South America for like pizza or burger, then you're thinking like chimichurri. If it's Asian, then you're thinking sambal or adobo. You know, if it's Eastern Bloc EU, then you're going sweet and sour, you're going fermented. Africa, you're doing harissa, dukkha, berber. That, that's how you'll bring some of that fun little intrigue and a little bit of experimental to whatever the dish is. But you can do that with pizzas. You can do that with burgers, right? Because that base is very familiar to us. So it's not... It's not a stretch. Um, yeah, it keeps that's them what very I'm wondering about. Uh, you know, I deal in the world of quick service and pizza. Mm-hmm. Quick service seems especially a challenge to me to implement these things because some of these brands are so unwieldy. I mean, how do you implement these types of trend-setting changes regularly into a quick service menu? If it was quick service and it was big, um, I would definitely introduce them as LTOs first off. Just because like McDonald's is famous for doing LTOs, right? You just do a limited time offering, you see if it sticks or, you know, if it doesn't. But in quick service, you have to just stay even a little bit calmer in whatever the prep is or whatever the add-in is of the seasoning. So you don't want to go as extreme as you would, let's say, even in fast casual with the spice combination coming from the Middle East. You'd want to take one step back and you want to go more kind of global national dish or a global national set of seasonings, something that's very familiar in that other country or a different U.S. region because you want it because uh, people are not going to QSRs to be hyper experimental, right? <laughs> they like something new. Definitely. But they, they're not going there to be, you know, completely hyper experimental, especially if they might be bringing little kids with them. I mean, you, you have to you have to back off a little bit on how extreme you're going to go from whatever the regions are. What about I think that earlier this year when I talked to you, I was excited about this. You had mentioned some interest in Native American cuisine. Is that still a possibility? Yeah, Native American cuisine is, it's fabulous, but it's a tiny bit of a hot mess. Because what you see, and the reason it's not taking off like it should, because it it hits every single button that consumers want. It's regional cuisine, it's historical cuisine, it's sustainably sourced items, it's it's live fire cooking, it's communal dining. I mean, it, it hits every single button you could possibly want in a flavor trend or in a food trend, right? The problem with it is, and we've talked to, um, we've called 32 tribes. We only, only 16 of them would actually talk to us once they found out we were Europeans. But basically they said they don't want America, they don't want Europeans, which are Americans, they don't want Europeans to know what their food traditions are. So the only Native American chefs out there who have restaurants, you can, it's, they're not backed by the tribe. They're out there by themselves in the restaurant. And that's why that's what the problem is. The Native American tribes themselves do not want it as a food and flavor trend for the country. That's the problem with it. That's its Achilles heel. And the only way you could open or launch anything with Native American cuisine is to have a Native American in the mix telling you what the food is. I mean, what, what the tribes told us is that 
they would rather have their food traditions die with them in the tribe than to share it with Europeans, which are us Americans, other Americans, not natives. Um, And so it's very closely guarded, and that's why it's not taking off, because it's these single chefs that are coming out and doing this amazing food, but they don't have the backing of the tribe. So it's fabulous. It absolutely hits everything, but it's, it's hard to actually get to the core of what the food is. Plus, the other tricky thing about Native American cuisine, it's different in every single region and every single, single state, right? Because the Native, American, Native Americans eat what's in front of them off the land is the ultimate in sustainability, right? Yes. So if you're a California tribe, you may be eating seafood, but if you're a tribe in Minnesota, you are, you know, maybe you're eating lake fish, but you are eating a whole different spectrum of foods and grains and fruits and vegetables. So it changes depending on what state that tribe is in. Just one more question and then we'll wrap it up. I wish sure. I, I could go on talking with you all day. It's so <laughs> fascinating. But um, And that being, if you have one piece of advice to give limited service restaurateurs, those within fast casual and QSR, um, what would it be for the year ahead as far as approaching is approaching the menu and your LTOs for the year. So, so of course, I don't have just one, but I'll be quick. <laughs> um, so I would actually, and it's not directly food related, I would be focused, and a lot of them are, which is super smart. I would be focused right now also, besides food, on the settings and experiences. It sets the tone of the trend. Settings like some of the QSRs who are going into more of a, they're going to more cafe format, for example. Mm-hmm. It it changes what then the consumer expects from them, and it can open the doors to being a little more experimental or being a little more fringe or a little more, you know, testing some waters because the setting has changed. It changes what your experience is, which can be fabulous. Also pay attention to the preps. The preps are as important as the food, the preps and the add-ins. So right now, dry techniques are in frying, air frying, deep frying, um, grilling, roasting, puffing, brick pressed items, you know, cast iron cooking, um, if it's handmade pickled, um, more indulgent, like roasted, more smoked, charred, something that's Instagram worthy. That's what they need to be focusing on for the preps. And then the add-ins, of course, they, they also have to watch what those trends are. Smoke, is it flavored heat, sweet heat? Uh, is it global fruits that are going onto the burgers? Um, what are the single grains that are in vogue? Um, can they do nitro coffee, you know, if they're serving coffee? Can they play with florals? Some Like some of the spices like sumac, rosemary, pandan, coffee rubs. All of that could be done. But again, it's what's the prep, what's the setting? I would also tell them, honestly, to keep your eye on con- convenience stores. Because convenience stores are now directly in line with competing with QSRs, especially for the younger generations. And I would also tell them to form an emotional alliance with consumers. It will go a long way to gaining their allegiance and their trust for whatever the brand is. And remember that you, the, the QSR or the pizza company, whoever you are, you are not the hero in the consumer story. They are. You are the guide allowing them to be the hero in their own life but you are not the hero. They don't need another hero. And also spend more time following the trajectory of a trend than worrying about what your competitors are doing because, after all, they may be idiots. Well put. <laughs> so well put. 
you know, this has been so much fun and I knew it would be, you know, you just bring a wealth of information and I just thank you so much for being here, giving us your reads on the trends and eccentricities heading our way. I would love to have dinner at your house sometime. Oh, I am a fabulous cook too. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. All right, then. And with that, we'll wrap it up for this week. But please share the podcast with others and share your thoughts with me about ideas for future interviews and just even topics of interest. Just shoot me an email at shellyw at networldmediagroup.com and give me your thoughts. I sure hope to hear from you. And I really hope you'll listen again next Friday when we'll have another edition of the podcast with next week's guest. Urban Bricks founder, CEO, and all-around ball of energy, Sammy Aldeep, who will discuss, among other things, the power gadgets and menu diversification can have for a pizza brand. See you then.